Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. From the beginning, the scriptural God commanded biological reproduction. Be fruitful and multiply. Reproduce biologically because the generation yet unborn cannot be created by studying or preaching the Torah. But remember that God is king and they are his children not yours. But the human beings did not listen. Cain multiplied himself, raising offspring to his own dynasty, dedicating Enoch and his seed not to God's commandments, but to buildings of stone. This situation did not last very long. After the flood, God established the oneness of the human race through Noah's sons, demonstrating his intention that the nations live alongside each other under his rule. Among them was Shem, the forebear of Abraham, by whom, God said, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All. From the sons of Noah to the settlement in Canaan, the Israelites were destined to live alongside the Gentiles already dwelling in Canaan. Yes, Canaan, the term artificially doubled by Luke at the climax of his genealogy. The stage was set from the beginning. Israel was never special or exceptional. They were one nation among many honored by Elohim with the special gift of his teaching. In the same way, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee had a special duty when God sent him to complete the work begun by Jonah of sharing this teaching. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is not Adam's story, Noah's, Abraham's, or Shem's, let alone Israel's. Even David needed reminding when the Lord struck down his child by Bathsheba. Elohim is king and judge. It is his dynasty, and they are his children, not yours. In obedience to Elohim, Jesus, the unremarkable human being, refused the throne. Jesus, the Lord with no army, property, children, or Toledot. Jesus, the last of the prophets who rejected everything Herod represents and went on to die a loser. In total shame, with no value in human terms. The Lucan genealogy is what the Bible always was, the Toledot of Elohim. And such a genealogy begins as it ends, bookended by the uncontested reign of our heavenly king who rules from age to age over all the nations.
Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 37 to 38. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 488 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We have spent these past few episodes dealing with the genealogy leading up to this powerful proclamation in the Gospel of Luke, Ben Adam, Ben Elohim, son of Adam, son of God. Along the way, we've talked about the importance of transferring glory away from oneself. I can't stress this enough, Rich. People struggle with authority. They struggle with power. They struggle with family. They struggle with parents. No one has any clue what honor your father and mother means, especially in an American context. They think, as I joked last time, it means being nice to them or obeying them and handing them a plate at a family gathering or whatever, saying nice things about them. No, it means exactly what Paul said it means in a Roman context, transferring the weightiness, the glory away from oneself. It means giving up the glory, training oneself that you are a sheep in God the Father's flock. In fact, you and I were talking a bit about the etymology, the Hebrew term kabed, and its antonym kalel. So the word that we translate in English as honor, which actually is functionally the same as the word heavy, which pertains to glory, the weight of the statue in the temple, its antonym is light, something that's not heavy, kalel. So we've got it wrong in English translation. That's why I think when you're dealing with any scriptural text, you just have to have a dictionary open. Always force yourself, especially in Hebrew, to look at the consonants and then do a search on every single word in the biblical Hebrew language. Forget the Hebrew language. Just look at scriptural Hebrew and see how many words share the triliteral root, you will surprise yourself at the connections you will find. That is what functionality is in the end. And you will realize how messed up our translations are. Because what Luke is doing by inverting the genealogy, he is transferring the glory upward. Scripture is transferring the glory upward. It is the opposite of rebellion. It is saying all of the weight that we want to give ourselves, all of the weight that we want to give anything human, we like to talk about children. We like to talk about Jesus and give him more importance than God the Father because we want to give ourselves importance. Scripture doesn't allow that. It pushes the weightiness upward toward the heavens beyond our reach. 
your reward. Remember that treasure, like the statue in the temple, the treasure pertains to the booty that a king would gather as the spoils of war. It has a weight. It's glory. And Matthew's telling you that that treasure is in the heavens beyond your reach. Now, something in the heavens has no weight. It's kalel. That's what Luke is doing here. He's pushing the glory upwards. That is what the commandment to glorify your father and your mother in Exodus is talking about. And so now, once again, Luke is taking another passage from a different Toledot in Genesis to complete this movement upward toward the singular glory of the unseen, meaning inexistent, meaning non-egregious. You're transferring all glory to a God who has no statue. He doesn't stand out. He has no physical reference. Our God is in the heavens. We can't control him. We can't touch him. In human terms, he is kalel. Yet we transfer all power and all glory and all weightiness to him. That's where Luke is taking us. And to get us there, he's not taking us to the Toledot of Ha'adam in Genesis 1 through 4, which pertains to the story of creation. It's not the story of the human being. It's the story of creation, the Toledot of the heavens and the earth. He's taking us to the Toledot of Adam in chapter 5 of Genesis. And there are some interesting characters that we now move through until we end up with Jesus in the wilderness in chapter 4. Interestingly, in Greek, we don't have son of. It's just one is of the other, is of the other, is of the other, is of the other. And it goes all the way back. So there's a parallel that Luke then strikes. And the way it's structured is there are two bookends. There is the one who is of God, who is Jesus, and the other one who is of God, who is Adam. There is a break between Joseph and Jesus. Jesus is not of Joseph. That makes all the difference. There has been a line of human beings who've tried to do it their way. Even when God offers an offering, it goes the way that it goes every generation, and it becomes, immediately after God's intervention, tribal. Well, now I'm a part of this, which means I'm a part of, and then they want to say this. And through this genealogy, so many opportunities. The name that keeps repeating itself throughout this genealogy, Mattathias, Matha, all these things, which are the gift. There have been all these opportunities, gifts from God that went nowhere, and finally ended up with Joseph, who is a nobody. Then we have Jesus, who himself is a nobody, except for one fact, that God declared that he's a son. Now, every human being afterwards wants to say, oh, I'm son of Jesus. Oh, I pertain to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. Lots of people are going to say, Lord, Lord. It's not about declaring yourself to be of Jesus. It is God declaring Jesus to be of him. 
God's the one who makes the call. You don't make the call. Luke even entered more generations than he needed to put generations in this Toledot to make the point that every generation wanted to be of the correct tribe. It's tempting before we get into the names to imagine that Luke is taking us forward to Jesus. But if he were taking us forward, he wouldn't be rewinding the tape. And I want to make this clear, especially for the Christians who listen to this podcast. We have a very diverse audience. There are people of many backgrounds who listen to the Bible as literature, many denominations, who appreciate this work and who care very much about the teaching of Scripture as much as they care about their own tradition. So I want to be very clear to the Christians who are listening to the podcast today. Do not fall into the trap of imagining what the church in Roman Corinth imagines, which is that you are somehow already there, already filled with the Spirit, that you are somehow exceptional because Jesus. Don't fall into the trap of this mischaracterization of the gospel in this movie that came out recently, the Jesus movement. Jesus is not your drug. He's not the alternative to your psychedelic trip. Luke is presenting to you in his rewinding of the tape back to Genesis chapter 5, what has already been preached in each generation of this genealogy, which is the life-giving Torah. It's just that now through Jesus, the same life-giving teaching is being offered to the Gentiles. You are being grafted in. So don't tell me, ah, now through Jesus. Don't talk that way. You are being grafted in to what has already been offered to every generation. And all I need to do is lift my eyes up from this Bible study and look around. After how many centuries of Christianism, I don't have to look around very much to tell you how many generations have rejected what has already been offered through the Gospel of Luke. Nothing changes under the sun. The challenge of the rewinding of the tape through the Lucan genealogy and the promise and the hope of what is offered through Christ Jesus through this teaching is that now those of us hearing this instruction will hear and change the way that we live for the sake of the poor so that we and they might find life together in the wilderness as sheep under the one shepherd, the father of all. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, 
the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Interestingly enough, there's a doubling of that name, Canaan. So if we weren't sure that we need to find life as the children of Canaan among the Canaanites in the wilderness, Richard, Luke decided that he was going to slap us in the face with that fact. Exactly. We've got two Canaanites in our background, if that's even possible. And I love the way that this is structured in Luke, because in Matthew, you start the book with Abraham, and then you move towards Jesus. But in Luke, you begin with Jesus, whom God declares to be his son, and then you end with God. You begin with God, and you end with God in Luke. Now imagine if he had done the genealogy in the same way that Matthew had. Then you'd be moving from Jesus to Joseph, and then you'd have Joseph as the last word? Joseph doesn't come to anything. To have this genealogy be bookended with God declaring his son, ending with God creating the first human being, the human being, Adam, it shows that all humanity is within his purview. But it's only when human beings beget themselves through fleshly means, as Paul talks about it, as humans being of the flesh, as opposed to of the Spirit, and not of the Spirit the way that you think, but of the Spirit because you've been begotten by the teaching. Jesus ends up having no progeny. We don't know it yet in Luke 3, but since we've already read Mark and Matthew, we have a good sense. He has no children, according to the flesh. However, we have those who are grafted in as children, as Paul says, because of the teaching. He wants children, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, meaning of his teaching. Sons and daughters who will be obedient to what is taught, not ones who want to declare themselves to be sons of God. Ones who do not glorify themselves, as you said, but who glorify their Father. Because if they themselves can make themselves children, then what weightiness does their Father have? They make their fathers light and inconsequential if they can declare themselves to be children. There's a very interesting play here, Richard, in this section that's lifted from the Toledot of Adam. And I want to keep pointing out for our listeners, there are two different genealogies. There is the Toledot of the heavens and the earth, in which Ha-Adam, the human being, who is not the main subject in Genesis 1 through 4. Because in Genesis 1 through 4, we are talking about the creation of the heavens and the earth. We don't talk about Adam, the character, which is different than Ha-Adam in the first part of the story. We don't talk about Adam until chapter 5. And within those two sections, in the first part, Henoch, Enoch, as someone in Cain's line in Genesis chapter 4 pertains to the construction of buildings. What's interesting with this Henoch, Enoch in English, is that in the Toledot of Adam in chapter 5, his name, which means renewal, plays out as a renewal as a son of Adam. 
So you have the first Enoch in Genesis chapter 4 who pertains to the building of cities. You have the new Enoch in the Toledot of Adam. And now you have Enoch resurfacing in the Gospel of Luke. There's a move that Luke makes, and I just want to express where I'm coming from. There are the texts that Luke borrows whole cloth, Genesis 5, and this big chunk of Genesis 11. If Luke wants to talk about Abraham and how Abraham got here, he's stuck because Genesis spells it all out. But there are a couple moves that Luke makes that are peculiar. Number one, Canaan appears twice. Nowhere else do you see that. And then the second move is that Adam is of God. We don't get that anywhere else. Now, one thing that he adds, Matthew was fine just going back to Abraham. Why does he have to go back beyond Abraham? And we have all these names that you've mentioned, Father, that have to do with shepherdism. We have Enoch, the one who walks with God. We have Reu. We have Arpachshad, who is the one who is the outsider. This chunk was added in as well. It was brought in mostly whole cloth with a couple of minor, although significant, alterations done by Luke. I read these very differently than these names that just don't appear anywhere else. Malay, Malaya, like the fullness, the abundance. I don't know where Luke got that other than he just made it up. It doesn't have any theophoric element. There's no name of God or anything like that in it. I'm looking to see what is Luke doing in particular. Again, why is it reversed? Why does it include this chunk? Why is Adam directly connected with God? Why do you have to include God anyway? Why not just go back to Adam? Because that would be a nice, tidy end, because that's where Genesis chapter 5 begins. That would have been actually tidier. But then he threw God in. So this distinction you have between Genesis 1 through 4, where the toledot of the heavens and the earth are bracketed off, and then you start with Adam, the human being, Luke chooses to breach this and to say that Adam is of God. Why would he do that? On purpose, you have God in the beginning of the story of the genealogy, this is my son, and God at the end of the story, Adam of God. God is the beginning and the end. God is the one who decides. There's one tribe, God's. Are you of Abraham? I don't know. Are you God's? Are you of Malaya? I don't even know who Malaya is. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you have to be of God. And being of God means being of his teaching. Are you obedient to this teaching? Are you a citizen of this kingdom? Are you a member of this household? This is all that matters. And you know what? There can be 20 generations of people. And it can end with Joseph. And there can be one guy, Jesus, and he's the guy who doesn't even have any children. Jesus, who has no earthly father and has no earthly children, he comes from God. What's interesting, actually, Richard, about this bracketing is that the father ultimately is the Alpha and the Omega in Luke. And from generation to generation, you either hit Halek with God, as Henoch did, or you don't. All you have behind you is the Torah and all you have ahead of you is the judgment under the Torah. That is the story of the genealogy. You push the glory upward to the one judge who's waiting for you at the beginning of the story and the end of the story. And right now you're hearing the story in whatever generation you find yourself. That's the hope. That's how the system works. That's how you find life. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. 
Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.